one of the things about being in the coaching groups is that you're not just like talking to whatever professional who's trying to help you and your kid. You're also listening to other people who are like dealing with the exact same thing. Being in a group with other people and really getting to see like, oh yeah, I'm not the only one dealing with this. And it's really okay if this is just the disaster that we're going to be, which is not to say that, you know, we can't work on things, but it really helps with the isolation. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at Brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration for the fall session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups is now open. Members will spend eight weeks gaining valuable skills and strategies to improve family communication and connection and learn ways to better manage anxiety in the home. Throughout those eight weeks, you will work directly with me and with your fellow coaching group members. The groups meet on Mondays and on Wednesdays. They begin Monday, September 27th and end on Wednesday, November 17th. There are two sections. The first meets at 1 p.m. Eastern, the second at 5 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDessentials.com parentgroups for more details about these amazing groups. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, the flagship show of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Maven. And don't forget to join all of us for a live Q&A on Tuesday, September 14th at 1.30 p.m. Go to ADHDrewired.com events to register. Of course, this episode, like so many others, was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. I greatly appreciate all of the support he provides this show. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed shows in the past, the most powerful and supportive thing you can do is share a rating and review in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcast player of choice. It goes a long way to helping others find us. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Ashley. She's an ADHD mom and a previous member of the ADHD Essentials Parent Coaching Groups. Ashley contacted me a little while ago and said she wanted to help support the groups. So in today's episode, she's doing just that. We talk about my vision for the parent groups and what Ashley got out of them. I share how my background contributes to my parenting philosophy and the skills that I teach during the eight weeks of the parenting groups. Ashley discusses how meaningful it was for her to connect with other ADHD parents, as well as some of the lessons she found most important. This episode is basically a free sample of what goes on in the groups. You get a little bit of the content, you get a little bit of the connection. I'm sure you'll find something valuable in it. Like maybe anxiety smiley faces, because we talk about that too. All right, let's get rolling.
My name is Ashley, and I am a late diagnosed like ADHD parent. So I bring all of that baggage to it. And I have three kids, and I did your parent coaching groups in March of 2020, which was fun for all of us, right? I was really happy to have that, <laughs> to have the coaching groups at that time. Like my kids are home from school. Hooray. Because that was right when COVID started. So you were in that group that I was the most panicked about. I had a ton of anxiety because I was like, oh, and now there's a global pandemic. I literally got everybody signed up. And then we started that group like the day COVID started, like at least for me. My kids were, came home that Friday or, or didn't have school that Friday. And then over the weekend for Monday, we got the official word that they were not going back. There's going to be virtual stuff. No one knew it was going on. And here I am going, oh, and I have parent coaching groups that I hope can handle this. Like, I don't know what I'm, what this means. Yeah. Turns out they handled it, which was nice. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's got to say something that, that has to have been you at your worst. And I'm like, still like, yeah, what can I do to help this? Like, let's talk about it, you know? Yeah. And that's why you're here, right? Is you reached out to me kind of out of the blue, I don't know, a month or so ago saying that you wanted to help the parent coaching group. You're just invested in them. You wanted to, to do something to help me spread the word, help more people, that kind of stuff. Um, and so one of, one of the things that we're doing is you're, you're coming on the show to talk about the parent coaching groups. And you had this interesting idea where you wanted to almost do a reverse interview where you talk to me about what I'm doing with the groups and why I'm choosing to do them. And also we'll talk about your experience in the groups as well and sort of what you got out of them. And I appreciate that because I never know, I never know exactly what to do with, with the groups and how much to push and, and how much to sell, I guess, because this podcast to my mind is about helping people. The podcast by itself is supposed to help people. It's not supposed to make people feel pressured or like feel salesy or anything like that around the services that I offer. But also, I do offer services and no one's going to know about them if I don't talk about them. So today's episode is about one of those services. It's about my parent coaching groups and what that experience is like. But before you go forward, like I, I will say, like from the perspective of helping people, like, you know, even for somebody listening who is like, well, I'm never doing that. The stuff that I got out of it, I think it's really meaningful. One of the things I got out of it was community. And so I think from the perspective of oh, this isn't just a commercial, like, can we talk about like how important that is for ADHD parents, if that makes sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Because that's, that's a critical component of the groups is you're meeting with, depending on how good a job I do selling them, eight to 12 other groups of parents. And that's a community. And I know some folks stay connected after the groups are done. And I don't, I don't know if you have remain connected to folks or not, but that's a thing. And to the degree that I've got people, especially in the last two sessions that I ran, there was a lot of pressure from the members of the last two groups for me to provide something else that extended the groups. So I'm looking at launching like an alumni sort of, Hey, you went through the parent coaching groups. Let's meet back together once a month or so and connect and like continue on with this learning and also maintain those bonds and friendships that get formed in the groups as well. I'd love to hear your perspective on the groups a little more. And what did you get out of them? Why are you 
so supportive of them? Well, first, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious before, like, I say all of that, because, like, I know what I got out of it as a participant. But, like, I was curious to hear, like, so I know, you know, you have experience as a teacher, you have experience as an administrator, as a parent, which I think informs things a lot. Yeah. What are you bringing to it? If you want me to go deep on my background stuff, it's it's vast. It really is. I can go all the way back to high school when I was in the Future Teachers of America program my sophomore year. And it was a program that was only open to seniors. But midway through the year, they had a senior dropout. And the teacher of the early childhood education program that I was in as a sophomore knew I was interested in the Future Teachers program and let me join it. So I was in that sophomore year, junior year, and senior year. Then I went to college and majored in psychology. I didn't know that you don't get to do the counseling stuff until you get a master's degree. And so I ended up pivoting to English major for a minute. And then I became a creative writing major, unofficially majoring in comic books. I designed my own major at the University of Massachusetts. And during that time, my investment in kids and my interest in working with kids stayed. And I was a summer camp counselor and like an after-school counselor in college. And that stuff really plays a role in how I run the groups and what my skills and thought processes are when it comes to parenting and dealing with kids and coming up with ideas and things to do with them. Like being an old summer camp guy plays a big role in it, right? And and it probably, you're laughing because you're probably like, that makes a lot of sense given what I saw from him in the groups. But that summer camp stuff, especially during the beginning of COVID, man, was I informed by my summer camp skills and my summer camp background because I had to think way outside the box when COVID hit. But so all of that stuff plays a role in in my background with ADHD, right? And and then I eventually went back to school and got a license to teach and and taught for a few years and left to become a guidance counselor, got a second master's in guidance counseling. So I have a master's in ed and a master's in counseling. And then it just turns out there's not a lot of guidance counseling positions out there. And I was already dabbling in ADHD because part of why I bounced around a lot when I was a teacher was because of my ADHD. Like I just wasn't doing it right. And so I was dabbling in ADHD. And when I didn't get a guidance counseling job, I did a little mental health work. I did a little special ed work, but I wasn't licensed in either of those. So they felt like a difficult long-term approach because I would have to get yet another educational credential. And I just didn't have it in me at the time to do more schooling. So I did the ADHD stuff instead and it worked. It paid off. I can't say enough about Eric Tivers and the role he plays in this. I kind of am mirroring his model. His model is he has a podcast and he runs adult ADHD accountability groups. When I was kind of figuring out my way between mental health and special ed and or ADHD, I talked to him a few times and he encouraged me to start my own show. And was, his view was he's got the adult side covered. Why don't I cover the family parenting kids side of it? And I was like, that makes sense to me. So sure. So off I went. And I designed my parent coaching groups differently from Eric's intentionally. Like I had been through Eric's groups twice, once as an attendee and once as sort of an assistant, um, which is kind of what you're doing in the groups right now. So same sort of idea. And Eric's ADHD is a little more pronounced than mine is. 
And Eric is also doesn't have the background in education that I have. So his groups were a little more, at least at the time, they've gotten a lot better. He's buttoned a ton of stuff up since. But his stuff was a little more improvisational. It was a little more surprising when something came up like, oh, we're doing that today. I didn't want my groups to work that way. As an assistant, especially, I had people who are like, I don't understand what's going on and we're not unclear on what was happening. And, and he took feedback wonderfully and fixed all the stuff that I observed as an educator where I was like, you want to do this, this, and this to deliver your message more clearly. He was like, cool, and made those shifts. So when listeners don't take any criticism as current, because it's not, that's all past stuff. But I learned from watching him both what to do and also sort of what to change and modify. And so my groups are two days rather than three, because three days just felt like a lot, especially for parents specifically. He does get parents, but he also gets a lot of like single adults and that kind of stuff who can spare the time and money more than a parent can. So I specifically shut down one whole day to drop the cost, to drop the time commitment and built more structure around what happens. So each of my weeks has a theme. The order of those themes has shifted around a little bit, but it's the same eight themes we meet for eight weeks because I feel like anything more than that is too big of a commitment to ask of parents. Um, it's also kind of tricky for me to fit it into the into the year. I try to get four groups run per year. Eight weeks is easier to do that way. So that's that's kind of the approach. Am I am I answering your question in a way that is useful? I mean, I think as somebody who's not you, as what I would say is what I hear when you say that is like, yeah, you have this really broad experience of you have worked with kids individually you know, with ADHD, you have the podcast, you've been a teacher, you've been an administrator, you've been a parent, and you have ADHD yourself. I have not seen anybody else who has all of that. And like, yeah, there absolutely is a difference between coaching for single adults and parents. It's just completely, I mean, I have three children, like, I could probably do okay if it was just me. Like, uh, I have three little agents of chaos, like all of the time. And it's just different. (laughs) And it's also different I mean, I get a certain kind of advice from like people who don't have ADHD, but are professionals working with it. And like what they do is give advice to parents trying to cope. There really is, I don't know, somehow this, I think right when I found your coaching group, I was like really deep in this, like, oh my God, all of the advice for helping ADHD children requires me as a parent to be this super organized person, like all of the advice is like structure and break it down for them. And, and like, basically like, you know, you have to not only have executive function yourself, but like have super executive function. And I was really frustrated. And so then like to at least like find somebody that could also understand that that was a big deal. Thank you. Cause that's, That's a critical part of the groups, right? Like I spend one week on systems and structures and organization and that stuff. That's it. And I only have that week in there because I know how desperately people want it. Not even because I think it's important. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the group. The rest, because the the groups primarily aim at your relationship with your kid and anxiety. Yeah. That's really what the groups are about. It's about managing your relationship with your kid and reducing the overall anxiety in the house. The systems and structures stuff, it reduces the anxiety in the house, assuming mom or dad can execute on these systems and structures. If they can't, 
if their executive functions aren't there, then it's just going to increase the anxiety. So that week also ends up being a lot of lessons around forgiveness and adjusting on the fly and making small changes and how to be more ADHD friendly. That's what happens in that week a lot. I think a piece of why so much of the parent advice is be the executive function for your kid is because that's what a lot of parents seem to want. They want those problem solving skills and they want to like be able to automate it so that they don't have to stay on top of their kids all the time. And my approach is more of like, no, 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 you, you're going to have to stay on top of your kids. Like you're the adult, right? That I'm sorry, but you're the adult. And with great power comes great responsibility. Like you've got to play the role of the adult, but the stuff that you're asking of your kid, that's what needs to change. We need to change at the point of performance. We need to accept that our kid can't do the stuff that a normal eight-year-old could do or a normal 12-year-old could do. And we want to find out what they can do and help them do that. And then like plus one, like let's a little bit more than that. And once they're doing baseline plus one, we, okay, that's the new baseline. Now let's do baseline for a little while. And now let's do baseline plus one, which is original baseline plus two. And we're scaffolding and building slowly but surely. And that takes a long time. Like one of my favorite things about the groups is when someone like you comes back and is like, these have made a difference. Because the fact is in those eight weeks, they kind of don't like they, they seem like they do. There's a lot of stuff swirling in people's heads and people have all these reframes and, and see where they need to make adjustments, but you can't change anything in eight weeks. It just doesn't work. It's not real. So when people come back six months later and, or a year later in this case, and they're telling me that this made a fundamental difference in my life and the life of my children, then I'm like, okay, cool. I know I'm doing it right. And, and clearly it sticks because you wouldn't have contacted me if it didn't. So that to me is sort of the success story is when people come back later. I, I had a woman that I worked with, she was in, lived in New Zealand and a piece of her challenge was that her daughter was refusing to go to school, which is not what the groups are built for. Like they're not about school. And a lot of parents are like, I want my kid to do their homework. And I'm like, that's, you'll, we'll get to that, but there's not going to mostly be that. It's going to be stuff, foundational stuff that will help with getting homework done, but I'm not going to help your kid do their homework or go to school more. Right. But when we improve relationships and we reduce anxiety, it becomes easier for that kid to go to school. And I heard from her six months after the groups were done, her kid was going to school every day, not always staying at school. Like sometimes it was a half day, but that was a big difference from where she started. I think her daughter was going once or twice a week and it was always a battle. Now her daughter was going to school every day with almost no battles, was handling the bus ride, which was one of the biggest challenges was that bus ride to school, was on the bus. I think it was three or four days a week she was on the bus, which was a huge difference from before where she wasn't going on the bus at all. Usually mom was driving her to school. That's a lot of growth and a lot of change. And it came from more forgiveness for mom, because that's a piece of what we talk about, right? Is that compassion component and a better understanding of where her daughter was and how to meet her daughter where she was her baseline so that they could build from there. And it came from little things like they would have these battles in the morning where her daughter wasn't going to school because her daughter would go downstairs, eat breakfast, and then go back upstairs to brush her teeth and do her hair. Yeah. And that's further away from school. Like now we just went backwards, right? 
And it's amazing how small changes can make a big difference. But one of the things I said to her was like, do you have a bathroom on the downstairs of your house? She said, yeah. And I was like, is there any reason you can't have a toothbrush and a hairbrush down there too? like have have the stuff upstairs for when she's going to bed, have the toothbrush and hairbrush and all that stuff downstairs for in the morning. And mom was like, well, yeah, we can do that. Sounds a little weird, but sure. Cool. Do that. Made a world of difference because they weren't fighting in the morning. And the reduction of the battles in the morning meant less anxiety in the morning, which makes it easier to go to school in the morning. It's just the way that I think is I'm looking to make things less complicated in the big picture. And oftentimes it means that I'm accepting the extra complication in the short term, having a toothbrush and a hairbrush in the basement or in the on the first floor and also upstairs. That's complicated, I guess. But if it's going to make everything else go more smoothly, then let's take that extra layer of complication that amounts to five minutes of complexity. And then it's over as opposed to a year plus of complexity with a battle from going upstairs. But also you're, you're, I mean, a lot of us as parents bring a lot of these assumptions. There's a lot of social messaging about like how your kids should be and this should be easy and this should be easy. And I, I feel like one of the things that was helpful is like, yeah, okay, so it's not easy and there's no magical fixes, but like, try this, see if it works, you know? And so even like suggesting the toothbrush thing, like you're not saying, well, that's going to fix it. That's going to make everything better. It's just, well, try it. There is so much pressure on parents of kids with ADHD. There's so much pressure on parents who have ADHD, just even like having somebody go, okay, yeah, I've heard a bunch of other people with that exact problem. And, you know, even you just saying like, okay, you know, let's do plus one. Like, that's a big deal to me. And one of the things about being in the coaching groups is that you're not just like, talking to whatever professional who's trying to help you and your kid you're also listening to other people who are like dealing with the exact same thing there was a couple of really big things that i brought out of the group in terms of ideas like i really appreciated the validation about like leadership and like how you express values of putting your kids first and that kind of thing you know self-care is the first thing but also like you know you had that whole discussion about like your kids needs and then your needs and then wants and that kind of thing. But some of it was just like being in a group with other people and really getting to see like, oh yeah, I'm not the only one dealing with this. And it's really okay if this is just the disaster that we're going to be, which is not to say that, you know, we can't work on things, but it really helps with the isolation. That's why I do groups because you can't get that one-on-one. It doesn't work that way. You've got to have other parents together talking about stuff. One of the things that is heartening, this is going to sound like I'm being a jerk, but I'm not. One of the things that always kind of makes me happy, I guess, it's going to sound weird. Hear me out. Is when a parent shares something that's really hard to share, right? Like they're being really vulnerable. A good example is in literally the last group, one of the parents said, I hear my kid coming down the stairs and I get filled with dread that I'm going to have to interact with my daughter. And like, that's hard to hear, right? Like that part is not making me happy. That part is like, I'm sorry that that's where things are with your relationship with your daughter. But what's heartening, what makes me happy is when then like two or three other people are like, yeah, me too. I totally, I dread my kid coming down the stairs too. 
and everybody feels better and everyone feels like that's normal and it's okay. And that's the whole job of these groups, right? Is it's this interesting balancing act that's not that hard to pull off of saying to folks, this thing that you don't like about how your family is working in the context of ADHD or neurodiversity, so autism, obsessive compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, whatever other comorbidities are happening, in the context of this neurodiversity that you have going on, this thing that you, that you don't like about your family is normal and it's okay that it's happening and we can change it and we can do something to make it a little bit better or maybe a lot better depending on what's going on. The metaphor that I often use for this is asthma, right? Like I have asthma. So sometimes I need to use my inhaler because I can't breathe. And am I happy that I can't breathe? No, but is it normal? Yeah, it's normal for people with asthma to not be able to breathe. And it's okay for me to sometimes not be able to breathe. That doesn't mean that I don't want to have healthier lungs. It just means that I don't need to add a moral judgment on top of the fact that I'm having trouble breathing. It means that I don't need to panic about it. I don't need to get super stressed and anxious about it. I just need to go, okay, well, this is where things are. Right now, the room is full of smoke and I'm having trouble breathing. Cool. Let me use my inhaler and get out of the smoky room. Like, let's do that. I think more than anything, that kind of matter of fact, we can do this approach is what I want people to get from the groups. Well, and I mean, I've obviously heard you use that metaphor before. And the thing that I'll say about that is like, I only started learning about ADHD like three years ago or whatever. But before that, I spent a lot of time in therapist's office for like anxiety and depression. And like, and I had therapists who were like, yeah, anxiety is fine. Depression is fine. Like, you know, it's like diabetes or whatever, but it's totally different hearing that from a professional who has not actually experienced it versus hearing that from somebody who is like, yeah, this ADHD stuff sucks. And like, I've been there and like, you know, being in a room with other parents are like, it's just different. Like you can hear it and you can have somebody say it, but you can tell if like, they're just saying it. I don't know. Versus like somebody who's like, yeah, like you said, with like somebody, you know, yeah. Oh, I really have this emotional reaction to my kid coming down the stairs because it's so hard. It really is different talking to somebody who actually has been through it and being in a room with other parents who are like dealing with it. Sometimes like parent groups for things can get into, you know, can turn into negativity or whatever, but it's not that it's, I mean, you're giving lots of like helpful suggestions and that kind of thing. And especially early on, one of the things I have to do is break the ice for the group because in the first few weeks, nobody wants to talk about anything because they don't know each other. So I share my stuff, right? Stuff I don't even share on this podcast and will never share in this podcast because it's not my story, right? Like when my kids are struggling, that's not my story to tell. That's their story. So I don't go into the harder stuff. I'll share minor struggles, but I'm not going to share the big stuff. But in the groups, I share the big stuff. In the groups, I share the like, this is how my kids' summer camp went totally off the rails and everything fell apart, right? Like I'll share those stories. And I also share what I did about it and how I, how I approached it and how I handled it because I don't want it to become a, a like a wine fest of just like everything is bad and terrible. Cause that drives me crazy as a human. Like personally, I'm like, yeah, I've been in those Facebook groups where people just complain about stuff and I'm like, yeah, but what are you going to do about it? 
do something. Like I get it that you need to be validated. I understand the difference between wanting to feel validated versus wanting solutions. I totally understand. But if all we're ever going to do is get validated and and be heard, nothing's going to change. So I try to make sure that the groups are are walking that line between you're being heard, but also here's what we do about it. But with the understanding, like you said, that like this isn't going to change tomorrow. There is a process. There are steps, things you can work on little by little. What did you get out of the groups? What are some of your takeaways? Because I don't get to hear this stuff very often. (laughs) Well, like I said, like, I mean, beyond the validation, which we've talked about, and then like, I would say, I, I mean, I started the groups and I already felt really strongly about like putting kids first and like. I, I just appreciated that that informs what you do in the sense of like, you know, ultimately your first job is to take care of your kids. Yes, absolutely. You need to take care of yourself because otherwise you can't, the family doesn't function. And and the thing about that is it's not just like putting the kids first. It's It's putting the kids first, even over like these, you know, social expectations of, well, this is just how, you know, what kids should be able to do at X, Y, or Z age or whatever. It's like, no, okay. Yeah. Brushing your teeth matters because we need to do dental health, but like, do we have to do it twice a day? If, if once a day is all your kid can achieve and you can make that work, that's okay. Let's do that. You know? And it's just an attitude of like, yeah, what, what, what works for your family? And like, you talk about parents as leaders, which I just really appreciate that perspective on how how to interact with your family I guess and there was something else which I haven't looked at recently so my Swiss cheese brain is not going to be able to explain it well but you have this this graphic of like the ramp up and then the ramp down with a kid of like the anxiety smiley faces yeah I mean it's basically anxiety smiley faces but like I had never seen it like talked about in quite that way and I was like oh my god this is like because you talk about like basically the kid ramping up to like level 10 and then even if you somehow manage level 10 like there is like a ramp down and you have to like you know kind of recognize where you are and and one of the big things was like recognizing where you are like if you've made it to level 10 or whatever they've done broken something then that's not the time to talk about like why we don't break things that's the time to repair with your kid and like reconnect and like make sure they know that you still love them and things are okay. And then maybe later, you know, or, you know, once we back down to, to level two or one, that's when we talk about like, okay, what should we do next time or whatever? Yeah. Just, just recognizing that like there is a ramp up and a ramp down, I thought was really useful. And like, and focusing on repair with your kid. Yeah. That's a step that gets skipped a lot. Yeah. And it can't be because a lot of the times the kid spikes, there's a problem and we immediately jump to the solution, but we haven't forgiven our kid. And so what ends up happening is the kid feels like our forgiveness is contingent upon them solving the problem them fixing whatever the problem was. And the reason that's hard is because if they were able to solve that problem, they probably would have avoided it in the beginning if they had the skills to fix it. Right. So they probably don't have those skills. And, and the person they're most likely to turn to for help with that problem is us. But we haven't forgiven them. So they don't feel like they can turn to us 
because there's still this damage to the relationship as far as the kid is concerned. We might not see any problem with the relationship. We might just be like, cool, now fix it. But they don't. That's why that repair and that forgiveness is so critical. And that comes from me as a kid. That comes from me as an adult where I've made mistakes and made someone upset. And I think that that relationship is now irreparably damaged and that person has moved on and I didn't notice. And they're talking about fixing something that I screwed up and how are we going to address it? And I have all this guilt and shame and can't approach it. Right. I, as a kid and as an adult, I've been through that. And that's why it's so critical that I get the word out there that I try so hard to make sure people hear this because it's a hard spot to be in. And, and I think it's something that ADHD folks especially get trapped in. And, and I should say, I mean, as a, I, that I do think that you do a good job of saying, yes, you need to repair with your kid. Yes, you also need to set boundaries. You know, I, I should just say that because I, I think there's this, I don't know. I don't understand like why we're so bad at this with the parenting field or whatever, but like, there's this like, oh, well, if you're focusing on repair, then you're just letting them do whatever. But you also specifically say like, no, I mean, I just heard you say that in one of the parenting groups, like somebody was saying, yeah, my kid's like yelling at me. And you're like, well, yeah, that's anxiety. You also need to shut that behavior down and you need to stop and you need to say, we're not going to do that. But you also like, that's one of the other things that like, I appreciate that you talk about in the groups, like you actually talk about like, tone and you know how to set a boundary and how to do it firmly and calmly and like say like yeah this is what I'm going to do with like the tone of my voice you know I think it's both you you say yeah you know we're not going to do that and then you also repair with the kid one of the things that I try to get across in the groups that I, I don't know that I always pull this one off when I remember to say it out loud and intentionally I think that it is a good message it's always in there, but I don't always pull the curtain back on this one as well as I should. And it's, I'm pulling so many curtains back in these groups that it, I don't get to all of them. But one of the things that I think is important is parenting is a skill set because that's kind of what you're describing here, right? Is like feeling like I can either be a wet blanket and let my kid walk all over me, or I can be super strict, rigid mom, dad who doesn't take any guff and is always shutting my kid down. And to me, yeah, those are two options, but those are kind of the two least skilled options. It doesn't take a lot of skill to get walked all over, and it doesn't take a lot of skill to yell at your kid a bunch. What takes a lot of skill is judgment and discernment around, is this a battle that I willingly lose because it's going to help me win more battles later? So today I let my kid kind of walk all over me while still setting boundaries, right? While saying like, look, I know you're walking all over me right now. I'm letting you do it right now, but don't expect that this is going to be a regular thing. I do that with my kids. There's times when I say that. And there's times when I'm like, yeah, I'm going to let you do this thing now, but don't expect this to be a permanent fixture in our lives moving forward. I just, it's a better decision for me to let you win this one because you're so amped up. And we're going to avoid getting this amped up in the future by avoiding the situation, like that kind of thing. That takes more skill. Yelling, yeah, it's easy to just get your kid to behave because they're scared of you all the time and they're living in terror. But is that the relationship you want to have with your kid? My groups are about finding what's in the middle. It's about when do I yell? Because there's times when that's appropriate. There's times when you should yell at your kids. They're just not very frequent. It's rare that you should yell at your kids. And if you're going to yell at your kids, you should know why you're doing it. 
And you should be able to turn it off at a moment's notice. You should not be yelling because you're out of control. You should be yelling because there needs to be some drama in this moment. I've had times and I've yelled at my kids and commented on the fact that I was yelling at them while I was yelling at them and said things like, I must be really mad about what just happened if I'm yelling this loud or usually not loud. I only go so loud, but if I'm yelling this much or whatever, right? That kind of stuff takes skill. It takes the ability to pull out of the heat of the moment and know why you're, why you're yelling or why you're being upset or whatever, and knowing that you're doing it for effect, not because you're out of control. Because there are things you want them to think are really serious, you know, safety issues. and Right. There's times when that's a thing that has to happen. The message just needs to be instilled in their bones. But if you instill every message in their bones, they're just going to be anxious all the time. And they're not going to be able to judge what message was more important than what other message and how to prioritize behaviors and values and things. And, and it's also important to recognize when our parenting is falling apart because of our own values. Like, that's why we talk about that during le- the parenting is leadership. Like, what are your values? What matters to you? And, and how are you, how is that affecting your parenting? Are you, is avoiding conflict such a deep intrinsic value to you that you're getting walked all over? Is respect such a deep intrinsic value that you're willing to yell at your kids to make sure they respect you and you can't tell the difference between respect and fear because that's how critical it is to you? If that's what's going on, you need to know that your values are getting in the way of more effective parenting strategies. What I, what I honestly hoped for out of this was for you to be able to, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good taste of kind of some of the conversations that happen in the groups, honestly. Only much less ranty. Well, you know, because yeah, there's, there's plenty of time for like parents to like ask questions and talk about it and stuff. You've done, I think what I hoped for, which is you've, you've said, yeah, this is, this is the focus that I bring to it. And, and I, I, like, I, I reached out because I, I have thought about it and like, there aren't that many people, like I said, you know, doing this work in this space with like, like I said, as, as broad of like a perspective as you have. And, you know, this added like, yeah, you really have to focus on the kids and their needs ultimately. And it's not just about like, how do I turn my kid into, you know, somebody that looks like a neurotypical kid or whatever. So how, how are things different for you a year later or whatever, however far it's been? So we've had a lot of life transitions (laughs) since our coaching group. (laughs) So involving like divorce and the pandemic and jobs and moving. And so I'm not going to say like, yeah, everything's like perfect. But what I do have that I, that I didn't have is like, I really have like focused on being around people who understand ADHD or have it, or, you know, I think your parent groups was maybe my first opportunity to find that of somebody like really bringing compassion and acceptance to it. And um, that's really what matters to me right now is just when you want to talk about like, how well is my life functioning? It's not functioning very well. Oh, well. Right. But like, am I doing my utter best to like put my kids first, love them, be accepting of them, make sure they know that if things aren't working, it's not their fault. Yeah. That's, that's what matters. To, to sort of, I don't know, fine tune that question a little bit. It sounds like, yeah, your life isn't going swimmingly and i'm sorry that that's the case but what's your relationship with your kids look like 
how much is that affected by it? Are you able to inoculate them against some of the challenges that you've been facing because of the coaching groups? Yeah. Like the relationship that I have with my kids is better. And I feel empowered to focus on that, if that makes sense, like to make that my priority. You know, you talk about parenting values just to beyond focusing on like, well, are we achieving all of these like standard markers of like routines? No. Do we have a pretty good relationship? Do they talk to me, you know, about their feelings? Yeah, that's good. So that's really important to me. And and so like, yeah, that's the hard thing that's hard to explain. Like, I can't be like, oh yeah, now my kid's going to school. Like, well, I mean, it's the summer, but you know, I can't necessarily say like, yeah, my kid was doing this and now she's doing this, but. And that makes sense. Cause, cause a lot of what the groups aim at is more of the ethereal stuff. I would like to hope that everyone coming through the coaching groups has a stronger relationship with their kids and potentially other people in their lives because they came through the groups and learned skills to improve relationships with. And I also would like to hope that the folks coming through the coaching groups have left with a better understanding of what anxiety is and how it affects their lives and ways to manage it, both in the immediate when it spikes and how do we get out of that? And also more broadly in terms of how to reduce the overall baseline anxiety. That's Those are kind of my two main things, even though the anxiety one is sort of two, so it's kind of three. But that's sort of my two main objectives. Because that stuff helps everything else. It helps get schoolwork done. It helps get the room cleaned. All of the symptoms that we see, those more foundational, fundamental approaches of relationships and managing anxiety makes it easier to to address the symptoms. Because those symptoms are symptoms of too much anxiety and the relationships not being strong enough. And I just appreciate that as a focus. Like beyond like, well, are you achieving all these markers? No. Do I have a decent relationship with my kids? Yes. And that does matter more to me. To me, that is the marker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other stuff like sucks sometimes. I'm not going to say I don't need to work on it, but you know, yeah. You want to talk about what's the most important thing. And, and like, I, it sucks for me too. My kids are going to go back to school next year and we're going to battle about homework. Like that's a thing that's going to happen. You know, my kid's room is a mess. My room is a mess. That's a thing that's going to happen. You just go through seasons of messy rooms and then you clean them and then it's better. And there's things that are challenging and you navigate them. Who's doing the ending essential? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make you do it. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. The, the relationship with your kids and feeling um, and having them know that, you love them and accept them and are there for them. That's what matters. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups for more details about these amazing groups. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better 
is all you need.